You're listening to the Carnegie Tsinghua China in the World podcast, a series of conversations with Chinese and international experts on China's foreign policy, international role, and China's relations with the world. Brought to you from the Carnegie Tsinghua Center in Beijing. I'm Paul Hanley, the director of the Carnegie Tsinghua Center, and I'll be your host. Today I'm joined by my friend Tim Stratford, a managing partner in the Beijing office of the law firm Covington and Burling. Tim focuses on advising international clients doing business in China and assisting Chinese companies seeking to expand their business globally. Tim was previously the assistant U.S. trade representative in the Bush and Obama administrations, responsible for developing and implementing U.S. trade policy toward mainland China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau, and Mongolia. Prior to his work at USTR, Tim worked in China for more than 25 years, including serving as general counsel for General Motors China operations, as minister counselor for commercial affairs at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, and as chairman for AmCham China. Tim, I'm thrilled to join you today here in your Covington and Burling office here in Beijing, and look forward to discussing trade and economic issues with you. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be with you. Nice. Now, TPP would be a long-term aspiration for China, and along the way, there would be a number of things that they could do as stepping stones moving towards that direction. One, uh, which was announced last year, is the Shanghai Free Trade Zone. Can you give us a sense? Uh, you've had discussions with Chinese government officials on this project. Uh, can you give us a sense of what the aim of the Chinese government is here? What its progress is, and uh, what we might expect to see going forward. Sure.、Um, uh, some of us who are on the board of, of the American Chamber of Commerce here had a meeting a year ago with、uh, one of the vice chairs of, of the NDRC, which is, of course, the the, the 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 central economic agency in the Chinese government. And what we were told at the time was that the Shanghai Free Trade Zone basically had. Uh, at least three purposes. One was to try to drive more domestic reform. It can create a kind of a almost a competitive liberalization dynamic in China of, of the type that uh, that uh, Bob Zelik used to talk about.、Mm -hmm. um, you, you set up one zone that's liberalizing in one place in China, and then other geographical areas in China say, "Hey, we want to do that in our in our province or in our city as well." And so you get a very you know pro reform dynamic that's created by that. Um, but the,、uh, the the vice chair particularly told us that one purpose of the zone is to experiment with some of the、um, liberalizations that they would need to put in place in order to conclude a bilateral investment treaty with the United States, and also、uh, to prepare that China could someday join TPP.、Mm -hmm. So certainly found that very interesting,、mm -hmm. and we have seen in the zone、uh, a very explicit adoption of some of the. Um, some of the principles that would be part of a bilateral investment treaty with the United States.、Uh, in particular,、uh, the zone has adopted a negative list approach, and what that means is that,、uh, apart, you know, unlike the rest of China, where every foreign investment project has to be specifically approved by the Chinese government,、mm. in the zone, unless your type of investment is listed on that negative、mm. list, all you have to do is file for the record. Uh, rather than get specific approval in order to make an investment, so that's that's a very very significant、uh, step forward, and it's、uh, the sort of thing that、uh, might be necessary under a U.S.-China bilateral investment treaty as、mm -hmm. well.、Mm -hmm. um, 
in terms of how far they're, they're going, the fact that they put the system in place is very encouraging. The initial uh, negative list that this zone is using is very, very long. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, many have been critical that it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't in fact much of a liberalization because almost everything is on the negative list. Yeah. But there are uh, statements by uh, Chinese leaders that the list is going to be uh, updated uh, mm -hmm. regularly and that it's going to be pared down significantly over time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an example of, uh, of an area that we're watching very mm -hmm. carefully. Mm -hmm. And I think the zone uh, will be showing us uh, how quickly uh, and how comprehensively uh, various sectors of, of the Chinese government will be able to uh, be liberalized mm -hmm. and be open to more to foreign investment. Now, Tim, you mentioned the U.S.-China Bilateral Investment Treaty, and I know this is something that you're intimately familiar with and knowledgeable about. And so I wanted to ask you about this. Last July, after a four-year hiatus, China agreed to restart negotiations on a bilateral investment treaty that would encompass all sectors except, uh, like the Shanghai Free Trade Zone, there's also a negative list. What are the promises, in your view, the promises and perils for the bit and also, how do you see this impacting the U.S.-China relationship more broadly and American businesses that are operating in China? Um, so the bid negotiations with China were originally launched back in 2008. It was right around the same time as, mm -hmm. as TPP negotiations began. And uh, what happened was the, the the negotiations were put on hold for a while when the U.S. conducted a, an internal review of the model. And this happened at the beginning of the Obama administration. And then the, the review was completed, the negotiations resumed. And what happened last summer that was so significant is that at the Strategic and Economic Dialogue in July, uh, the Chinese government announced that they would be willing to uh, carry forward the bit negotiations on the basis of um, uh, three principles that are core parts of the U.S. model and uh, that had been resisted to a certain extent by mm -hmm. the Chinese up to that point. Um, the first principle is, is national treatment, and the Chinese had not necessarily objected to that. But the, but the problem was the traditional Chinese view of an investment treaty is that it should protect existing investments. So if you have an investment, then the treaty gives you certain protections. Mm -hmm. But it didn't deal with how you were able to get those investments in place in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, the United States uh, has a, a more ambitious kind of an approach to the treaty where uh, this idea of national treatment, where you're treated the same way as local companies, applies not only after you've put the investment in the ground, but it also applies during what they call the pre-establishment phase. Mm -hmm. So that means that if you're hoping to invest, you should be treated the same way as a domestic investor is. In yeah. other words, all the, all the parts of the market that Chinese investors are allowed to invest in, you should be allowed to mm -hmm. invest in also on the same terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. Now that, that would represent a, a, a huge change from the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the same meeting uh, that I talked about with the NDRC vice chair, where we talked about TPP, he also talked about this agreement by the, by the Chinese government. And he himself said that this would require a fundamental change in China's uh, investment regime. Uh, so uh, again, this idea of pre-establishment plus 
national treatment is uh, accompanied by one other principle, and that is the negative list principle. Mm -hmm. uh, we've already talked about that negative list for the Shanghai zone. Um, the, the, the significance of a negative list in a bilateral investment treaty is that, again, in the past, China had not used this approach. They had used what would be called a positive list approach. Mm -hmm. So the agreement says you get this right, you get this yeah. benefit, and so on, but only with respect to the particular industry sectors listed in an annex, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Mm -hmm. but, but the negative list approach turns that around and says, okay, you get it for every, every sector, yeah unless we have a specific exception that we have listed. Mm -hmm. That's a much more comprehensive approach. Uh, it gives a lot more clarity and transparency in terms of what's covered. And it also means that as new industries develop, uh, those should be covered by the agreement. They're, yeah. it's, they're not sort of excluded because they weren't on, on some positive list, list yeah. that, was, that was put in mm -hmm. years ago. So uh, the opportunity to have this type of a bilateral investment treaty between the United States and China presents a lot of opportunities for uh, companies from both countries. It governs not only uh, how you're treated once you're in the country, but also gives uh, greater access to participate in the economy. Uh, in, in my view, it's the greatest opportunity for American and other, uh, well, American companies to address uh, concerns they have about doing business in China. It's the greatest opportunity we've seen since China joined the WTO in 2001. Mm. Uh, so I think it's very important for companies to understand what the bilateral investment treaty could cover, uh, to understand what are some of the current challenges their own industries are facing, and make sure that the U.S. trade negotiators are aware of those so that mm -hmm. they can have those issues addressed in the treaty. Um, I was working at General Motors during the, the period of the WTO negotiations. And uh, the auto industry at the time identified five areas where we thought that our business was being uh, blocked or constrained in China. And we communicated that to uh, trade negotiators. All five of those areas were addressed in, in the WTO commitments that China made. Mm. And it really made an enormous difference in the ability of the foreign auto industry to compete in China. And I think we have uh, a very good opportunity to achieve uh, similar benefits in yeah. the course of the bit negotiations. Mm -hmm. So you see this as potentially very positive for U.S. businesses, and in your sense, are the US, is the U.S. business community sufficiently behind this effort and pushing it forward? I think that uh, there's a growing awareness of this. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hope that more people will listen mm -hmm. to this podcast and become more <laughs> aware of this as well, because I think uh, the, the negotiations are are, are taking place now. There have been uh, quite a number of uh, very detailed negotiation sessions that have already taken place. The Chinese are busy now compiling their first draft of the negative list that they're going to table mm -hmm. in the negotiations with the United States maybe uh, toward the end of this year or early next year. And so it really is time for uh, companies to become aware of these developments. Mm -hmm. And what kind of timetable would you expect? Is this within the next two years, within the next five to ten years? Well, I, th I certainly would expect that the treaty negotiations would be concluded um, in less than five years. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, um, I mean, uh, of course it depends a lot on how ambitious the Chinese feel. I mean, the U.S. market is already largely open, so the, the real work of preparing the negative list is mostly on the Chinese side. And I think uh, if, the, if the United, if 
if the Chinese are, are willing to be as ambitious as a number of the reform statements by the new Chinese leadership indicate, um, you know, the negative list will be presented. And I mean, the point is that now is a very active time in the negotiations. Mm -hmm. Now's a time to sort of see the level of ambition. And, uh, and so now's a time really to focus on it. If, if the ambition is there, I think the agreement could be concluded in the next uh, two to three years. If we find after the next period of time that the ambition isn't there, then perhaps interest would fall off. But I think there's a strong desire on the part of both countries not to let that happen. Well, great, Tim. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you about these issues. Uh, and thank you for spending time with, with me today and for doing the Carnegie Tsinghua podcast. That's it for this edition of the Carnegie Tsinghua China and the World podcast. I encourage you to explore our website at www.carnegietsinghua.org and see the work of all our scholars at the Carnegie Tsinghua Center. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next time.